everyone. Welcome to this edition of the DMZ America podcast. It is Wednesday, November 29th. I am Scott Stantis, editorial cartoonist, coming to you from the right. And I am Ted Rawl, editorial cartoonist, coming to you from the left. We sort of missed last week. We both, <laughs> I, 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 I was, I'll tell you why in a second, but I, I had an excuse, but Ted calls this morning and goes, <laughs> Am I just losing my mind or did did we not do a podcast last week? I go, no, Ted, you're not losing your mind. Well, not for that reason. Um, we, 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 we just kind of forgot. <laughs> we just sort of didn't do it. You were having a Biden moment there. I was, well, a good Biden moment, though, because I my first grandchild was born uh, Thanksgiving Day. And little Hugo Stantis is uh, our little bundle of joy. And uh, yeah, came in at seven pounds, 10 ounces. And yay. Yeah, definitely. Big yay. Are you kidding? I mean, yeah, no, I mean, it's something I've wanted you've for been, a long time. Yeah, you you have. I mean, uh, I want that too. I've been encouraging my, my uh, son to be uh, to be promiscuous and just uh, <laughs> I'm like, birth control, birth control is for losers. Yes. I mean, come on. That, <laughs> nobody does that anymore. All the cool kids are. It's like, oh, you know, you know, what's a really pleasant gift for your girlfriend is when you puncture a hole in the condom. She'll oh, love they that. Lo- Surprise. <laughs> God. I mean, yeah, do that. Stay, st- come for the crying, stay for the tax break. <laughs> anyway, my son and his wife, um, it was apparently, I mean, it was like a, the, the pregnancy itself was uneventful. Mm-hmm. But holy crap, the delivery, oh, that just sounds like a nightmare. So they're they're healing from that. And um, so it was a distraction last week. So that's I'm sticking to that. And uh, uh, it's so funny. We, uh, you know, obviously, Ted and I see each other before we record this on Zoom. And Ted goes, well, first thing out of the box. Wow, you look like shit. <laughs> well, I'm such a good friend. Um, well, you're honest. And I can, uh, I'm sure that came from a place in your heart. Of fear. That <laughs> <laughs> you might die. I um, look that bad. I'm looking at myself here. I don't look that bad. Well, I don't look great, but I'm still good. Yeah, look- you look. You, yeah, you have a. You you kind of look like someone who's maybe last week you were thrown down a flight of stairs in an Irish bar, <laughs> and it wasn't. No. And in terms, if you said what well, you should have seen the other guy, that no, other fine. guy's upstairs. He's upstairs drinking. <laughs> yeah, he's fine. He's absolutely great. Yeah, it was. It's been a. It's been a rough week. So, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. we're helping taking care of the baby now, and it's a. Uh, it's, it's amazing how this little itty bitty looks like a head on a stick baby can just wipe out four grown human beings. Oh yeah, they're good that way. <laughs> evil things come in small packages. <laughs> There's no doubt. Speaking of evil. Um, how's that for a segue? Like we've it. got, I like, uh, I like these segues. Yeah. We've got not just one proxy war, Ted, but two, the United States is shoveling money at, um, uh, well, obviously we have, we can talk about both of the, uh, well, there's more, there's all, there's that map you said you texted me, right? That was from the New York times. And that was fascinating to me. It showed all of the places where American troops have had war zone, where war games across the globe. War, and is by it the war way, games or, or I thought it was like actual. It, military operations is what it says. So I thought that's yeah, I thought that's what that those was. Those are war I'm games. Not... That means there's actual combat. Or... You mean they're actually shooting at real people? Yeah, maybe not necessarily shooting. It could be like sort of like um, they station them there, but but shooting does happen in some of those places, and and in and in all of those places, it could happen. 
Well, when what's fascinating, if you look at this map, I mean, we're all over Africa, North and Central Africa. We are all over. Did you notice in the map of Europe, there's not there's nothing in France? Well, Charles, the ghost of Charles de Gaulle is still strong. <laughs> like but a, a lot in England, a lot in Germany. Va, va uh, te foutre. England, of course. We, oui. um, aka and, our dog. They're having troubles now. Pre- Brexit wasn't what they expected it to be. It's, it's exactly what everyone else expected it to be. I know everybody, including myself, told them this is stupid. Why would you leave this? Include because they had an exclusive deal with the U- with the uh, European Union. It wasn't. They weren't even a full. They were the only country who who should not have left. I mean, I voted against uh, the EU uh, as a French citizen. Look, France is getting screwed by it. So is Germany. So is Italy. But like the. But, uh, you know, the, the, the Brits weren't they weren't they were giving up nothing. They still kept their currency. They had their sovereignty. They had, you know, I mean, they weren't subject to like the most draconian EU rules. They were the, they were getting the best deal and they're out. It's sort of like when, you know, you see a couple getting divorced and like it's like the ugly, stupid, uh, fat one who's like, I'm leaving that one. It's like. <laughs> But 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 your partner's gainfully employed and hot. Like what? No, they're a monster. Yeah. 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 That's anyway. So um so yeah, so apparently America is a war machine. If you for those of you who didn't know this, this comes as a revelation. Uh, have a seat. Yes. Well Deep welcome breaths. to yeah, uh, Ted can tell you that uh, American arms all over the world causing tr- stirring trouble on all the continents. But the two big ones are, wait for it. Well, you know, you were about to introduce it, and I and I derailed. yes, the the Israeli incursion into Gaza, and of course the war that apparently we've we we're either something happened to it. It's a country that starts it. with a it's U. Under the, it's under the cushion somewhere. Yeah, it's sort of like my mother-in-law, who's kind of struggling with dementia right now. She loses, or actually, she's convinced that things get stolen, and they always end up, always Ted, always end up under her comforter on her bed, her purse, oh, her sunglasses, her keys. You know where to look. Janine, all you know, her daughter, all of it, just right there. So this is kind of like the Ukraine war is probably under my mother-in-law's comforter. Well, you should um, look. At, you should look under there. You know, I mean, I'd be worried about Zelens- little little tiny Zelensky getting smushed. Um. You know, I think a lot of weirdly, uh, Ted has been wailing against the, this incur- the, the proxy war, and I, I came to, around it to his way of thinking. But the Republicans are the ones who are leading the charge to say no more money to Ukraine. It's not a democracy anymore. We're not supporting democracy. We're supporting a dictator. We are a despot against another despot. I mean, you know, you, I guess you get you can pick and choose your despots if you want. Hey, at least uh, Russia this- has elections. They, well, they're like ours. They're rigged. Well, yeah, except our the opposition usually isn't in jail in the United States. They're usually, you know. Well, that's no. I'm talking about. I'm talking about the, uh, the in in Ukraine. The opposition is in. Well, there is no election. They were going to have right, one, but all of yes. the opposition is in prison. So that's a problem. It makes campaigning more in more difficult. You know, the Wi-Fi is not that good inside. <laughs> and like, uh, you know, there's the war crime. <laughs> bad, bad wi-fi in prisons um yeah they've 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 uh canceled all elections i mean come on guys we had we the united states had an election during a fucking civil war new york city had a mayoral election was it 10 days after 
Um, it was actually on 9-11 was when it was scheduled. Voting was suspended because of the attacks. Uh, it was, a, it was you know, I, I think there was a strong chance that Mark Green, uh, the much beloved progressive um, uh, public advocate, um, he uh, would have probably beat Bloomberg, but then uh, 9-11 happened and everything moved to the right. So then they, yeah, 10 days later, they re reconvened to hold the election. Yeah, don't forget in New York, the, the current mayor said, you know what, we can just cancel the elections and I can stay in office until we until things settle down and we can have an that election. That was Giuliani. That was Giuliani, who was, of course, an attorney for Donald Trump, Trump. who wanted to try to- And New, uh, York, kinda... New York was like, you're awesome. You're America's mayor. We love you, but you know. <laughs> democracy democracy is well, messy I sometimes i mean if the republicans i think look behind the scenes it's entirely possible that republicans in the house and the senate are concerned uh, about the optics of ukraine not being a democracy but we don't know that but what we do know is what they're saying in public and they say they're deeply concerned about the waste of money um they say that like there's been t billions that have gone unaccounted for uh, the, the Ukrainians can't say what what if any weapons they used to 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 that money to buy. I know uh, a lot of the weapons that we sent them directly ended up on for sale, uh, turned up in foreign in in other countries on eBay Boston. or yeah, like well on the dark web, um, and basically uh, so so they're like basically we want accountability for this. So for them it's but I think that I'll tell you I think the real subtext what the Republicans really don't like. They don't like the fact that Russia, Ukraine is losing and they don't like to be on the losing team. So it's kind of like how, you know, when are you're they home, when the, I just get know, the like a baseball, I'm not sure they're losing. Like a, I, th I think it's well, a, losing. It's a no, it's a it's a slog now. Now it's a quagmire. Now it's I think it's pretty even, don't you? Or wait, no, no, explain I, to me. I think you... it's yeah, there's not there's really no 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 significant movement either direction. However, when the when that's the case and the war is being fought entirely inside one country. That's the country that's losing. Because, I mean, think about how much Russian territory has Russia lost to Ukraine? None. <laughs> you know, like, however, you know, the uh, the Russians are sitting on, on top of tens of thousands of square miles that used right. to be Ukrainian. But it was an invasion. Ukraine did not invade Russia. Russia invaded the Ukraine. Sure. Here, let me explain it. Let me put it this way. Too. Well, that's I mean, sort of like, it's, it's very much like, like the civil war. We in, we in, I was going to say in the so, South was fighting a defensive struggle and they... Oh, wait. <laughs> <laughs> Shit. <laughs> You're, no, I think there's, I'll tell you what the counterfactual is to my argument. And that's World War One. Um, and it, it, it gave, it gave rise to the harmful, like a stab in the back, back mystique. All of World War One between France and Germany was fought in France. None of it was fought in Germany. Right. So when the, so the Germans always felt, well, we invaded France. We're still invading France. We won. So when the armistice came in 1918 and Germany said, admitted that they had lost and told everyone, come home, fuck it, the French win, and we have to pay them money. The Germans were, were the German people, a lot of them were understandably really confused. And then right wingers, like, you know, the future National Socialist Party, they were like, you know, we were stabbed in the back by our own people. It was an act of treason. It was the Jews who told them to do it. And so that's, it gave rise to that like myth, right? And the truth is, you know, I remember as a, as a, when I learned about this, I was confused 
but they did germany really did legit lose because they couldn't maintain the supply lines and they they had lost so many men so even though the war was fought entirely on ukrainian uh, sorry on uh, french territory um it did not it didn't matter because they just couldn't win so i guess you could say if the ukrainians were successful at bleeding the german uh, the uh, russians out um oh, then ukrainians could theoretically win but it's like you know france and germany are pretty were and remain pretty evenly matched the two countries have similar economic strength their populations aren't very different that's not true about Russia and Ukraine. I mean, Russia is six times the size of Ukraine. Its military is probably 50 times more powerful before the war started. I mean, so even though they get some help from, from NATO in the US, it ain't enough. You know, it's like, they just can't, I don't see, I, I mean, you know, behind the scenes, military strategists are admitting internally uh, to the Pentagon that there is just no fucking way for Ukraine to, to prevail. No, and what's going to happen is, uh, you and I have talked about this several times, is it's, you know, they're going to have to cede the Donbass uh, uh, region to, to be at least autonomous. Uh, Crimea is going to remain r- Russian. As it should. And there's going to, I disagree with you, but that's we, that's another podcast. Um, yeah. yeah. <laughs> we could go off for a while. Well, no, I mean, you know, I, I'm just curious. I mean, okay. So it was okay, always, yes, we won't. It's, it's no, it's an over 90% <laughs> ethnically Russian. That might be enough right there. But the point is it was always in Russia until the 1950s in the Soviet union. And then Khrushchev had this stupid, like it's the 500th anniversary of blah, blah, blah. And then he transferred it over to, uh, to, to the Ukraine SSR and the US. And so it's kind of, this is kind of like, this is kind of like you and your wife get divorced. I'm, and then I'm like, you know, I was just at your wedding last year. And you know, that like that bowl, that, that big like crystal bowl I gave you, given that the wedding didn't work out, I'd like my bowl back. It's and like, I'd have every right to, I'd have every right to say, no, it was a gift. I'm keeping it. In addition, just looking at a map, Ted. But if I'm well armed, you, you, I'm getting that bowl back. <laughs> <laughs> my point, and, my point, and my point is that's what happened here it was like so like the, theoretically yes of course um you know crimea was in ukraine but the reality is they were also the the ukrainians were also treating the people in crimea like shit i mean they really were they they were like they they were like you're late you you only speak russian oh by the way russia's russians no longer a legal language in our country, your kids know, but that's, will never can't learn in schools in you know the language that they you know speak. That's what the, that's what Putin has done with other areas he's invaded is to say that the Russian minority or the Russian nationals. Well, he's there he's, he's be, right about that. That happened. Okay. Oh. I mean, I, I personally, before Putin ever became ever came along, I saw this shit happen in Central Asia when the Soviet Union broke apart. There were Russian. There were ethnic Russians living all over the place because, of course, it was the Soviet Union. And when like places like, uh, you know, Kazakhstan and Uzbekistan uh, became independent countries, there started to be resentment and uh, you and the locals discriminated against the ethnic Russians. And they were like, maybe you should go get the fuck out and go back to Russia. And they're like, but we've lived here for three generations. Yeah, that's great. Just go. And um, and they they started doing very similar things like. Uh, getting rid of Russia, Russian as a as an official language. I mean, what's the case for the, the Crimeans? Don't want to be there. They just they just barely joined like recently. I mean, here the fifties would be a long time, but you know, in that part of the world, 
if it didn't happen a thousand years ago, it like, you know, it doesn't count. Um, you know, really? I know, but I'm just looking at a map, just practically speaking. Crimea is, I mean, by all intent and purposes, it is enfolded in, in, in Ukraine. I mean, it just it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's attached. What, it's it's a it's a peninsula. It's like it's like enfolded yeah. in Ukraine the way Cape Cod is enfolded in the U.S. It's sticking out into. The and ocean. we'd be pissed if Canada said, "You know, that's ours." We'd be pretty pissed. But if it had always had been theirs, well, Canadians are everywhere. Well, and rightly so. Canadians <laughs> are great. Uh, okay, I, I like Canadians. I, I hate oh. the way they say "out." I'm sorry. This it's not oot. Come on, people. Come on. Well, it is for them. They're wrong. I mean, I feel like I feel like we both had mothers and, and relatives who spoke Parisian French, and whenever they heard another French speaker, true. Oh, my grandmother would be all oh, that is not French. Although my mom wasn't like that. My mom <laughs> was fascinated by Canadian French because she knew the history. She said, you know, that's basically 16th century French. Uh, really. And- yeah, they were. Yeah, because they were left behind, right? Um, so, and uh, <laughs> where's the boat? <laughs> <laughs> you're, Jacques, you're, Jacques, you're, you're coming to uh, get us, right? We, Sultan Ma. Yes, we will turn around. We will come back to get I'll be you. On tour. You wait. <laughs> Just like soon, Taiwan will invade the mainland, mainland China. Yeah, yeah, that, yeah. Unleash Chang. Unleash Chang, <laughs> which was actually something that George H.W. Bush would say when he was about to slam a tennis shot. <laughs> I'm serious. Yeah, it's just like, okay. true. It's true because that was a thing back in the day. It was unleash Chang to attack after World War II to go back. He was, and he was plenty. He was plenty unleashed to begin with. Yeah. Well. Yeah. All right. So let's get. So let's get to it. So so Ukraine. Anything so, to so say Ukraine. There, we got that. Think- oh, we got it. Yeah. We. I don't. Dis- I would. I, if I was Scott Standis, uh, you know, I of Republic of uh, Alabama, I would vote to stop sending money there because there's no accountability. There's no accounting for it. And additionally, they're not a democracy. They've made themselves empirically. What about the fact that they, they can't win? Would you care about that? Not a lot. OK. That's, all right. So you're that, so you, you have a I think you have a ideologically Here, grounded yeah, position. Yes. Here's what I would do too. And I would tell the, I would tell the Ukrainians and Zelensky, um, yeah, this next round of funding is it. That's no, you won't get another red cent from the United States unless you sit down and negotiate a settlement on this. Mm-hmm. And he, I guarantee you, you put it that way. And he well, thinks no, he knows you mean it. There would be no they, choice. They, yeah. You know, you know, don't forget Zelensky actually uh, proposed and signed into law, a st- a law, that makes it illegal for anyone to negotiate uh, for with with Russia as long as Putin is president. I understand that. I don't. Um, oh, no, talking is always good. You yeah, can always well, talk. Yeah, you and I agree. I mean, no, I think this is, and that's where if I if I was like I said, I would insist on Ukraine sitting down with Russia and hammering out an agreement and ending this war because it's stupid and it's wasteful, and we're not going to send you another penny. Boom. Yeah. Yeah, I'm done uh, with now, that. Now, what about so? so let's, let's talk about Gaza. I mean, let's move over sh- to Gaza. <laughs> Gaza is a shit show, man. I mean, I don't know if you saw this article in the New York Times four days ago, um, where they talked about the killing rate. So officially, fourteen thousand Gazans are dead. It's probably fifty, sixty, seventy. 000. No, I I disagree with you, but please continue. Okay, you're wrong. Um, so, 
<laughs> so the point is, I mean, it's at least, so, I mean, you know, anyway, the point is it's tens of thousands of people, but even if you just go by the official count, which is uh, by all accounts, uh, according to Western outlets like the New York Times, very conservative. Um, and by the way, even by the way, figures inside the Biden administration are now being quoted saying that they think the Gazan numbers are conservative and it's probably far higher. So anyway, they said that um, the, so because you um, the Israelis are dropping, basically, they're dropping 2000 pound bombs in a densely populated urban area, they're flattening the whole place. Um, they have dropped between 15 and 20,000 of these 2000 pound bombs there. Now, uh, as a result, 60% of all of the Gaza Strip is completely flattened. Um, according to America that sells and make, makes and sells these bombs, that's no bomb greater than 300 pounds should be used in an area like that. Um, and so like, for example, to fight ISIS in, um, in Aleppo and stuff like that, they used like 300 pound bombs and they still leveled the entire city. Um, so the kill, so, so the people are, it's a unique set of circumstances in other wars, the refugees can flee, but in Gaza, they're, they're trapped by the Israeli uh, blockade. Uh, and can't flee. So they are also, they, they have no water or food that's being let in. So they're also just starving and dying of thirst. And the medical, and the medical system has completely collapsed. Long story short, the more than, so twice as many Gazans, at least, have died in two months than all Ukrainians and Russians combined in two years over there. And to add to that, the war zone in uh, Ukraine is, I think, 25,000 square miles. The war zone in, so all of the Gaza Strip is 141 square miles. So if you add all that together, basically the intensity of killing in, uh, in, in, in Gaza is 1,500 times more intense than in Ukraine. And uh, so they said you basically have to go to the firebombing of Dresden to find comparable like carnage. Um, so it's really a fucking shit show. Um, and now the Israelis are kind of being exposed because of the hostage exchange. People are like, well, who are these Palestinian women and children you're trading back? And it turns out that many of them are kind of hostages themselves um, and being held in what the Israelis euphemistically call administrative detention, which basically means they're kidnapped and held without charges for uh, baselessly. And then, and then tortured and denied food and water in many cases, according to published reports. And then at the same time, sorry, as I rant about this, uh, the, cause it, it, I care about it. It's, it's really crazy. Um, they, uh, the now Israeli Jewish Israelis, uh, loyal Israeli citizens are being jailed, arrested and imprisoned for criticizing Netanyahu and the government. So they've passed an emergency edict saying that like Israelis are not allowed to criticize their own government. So well, okay, um, have to look into Israel that. is that... being exposed as a, let's just say this, they're not behaving well, Scott. <laughs> well, I think it's bad important Israel. to Very let's go Israel. back. Let's go all the way back to October uh -huh. uh, and October 7th. And what occurred that day was beyond imagining the horror, the brutality, the barbarism barbarism of it, uh, killing babies in the cribs, raping women so violently that they cracked their, their pelvises. I mean, this, and now taking hostages. Um, 
all of this is to say these were Hamas uh, under the auspices of the Palestinians who voted them in and have been voting them in for the last decade and a half. Wait, 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 wait. Stop. There's been Stop. no election at all in 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 uh, in Gaza well, since, in 17 years. Well, who's been? How did they become the civil civic leader? Well, there was so there was an election 19 years ago, and then uh, which they basically was inconclusive. It was like a it was like 37 to 37. They and Fatah is the former PLO, right? So Fatah party is the PLO, and they're in charge of the West Bank. Uh, Fatah ran against Hamas in uh, 2005, and then in 2006. Um, the so they had a power sharing arrangement, and then finally Hamas pulled a military coup and threw oh, okay. Fatah okay. out. So the so for, so it's been a dictatorship of Hamas ever since 2006. It's a, literally a military dictatorship, an Islamist military dictatorship. So maybe um, you know maybe Hamas has a lot of support in Gaza among the people of Gaza. Maybe it has a little. Maybe it has half. We don't know. Maybe it has none at all. There's been no election and there's been no polling. There's absolutely no way to know how the people of Gaza feel about Hamas. Just saying. Well, okay. So Hamas has been acting as the civic uh, authority. And, you know, when Hamas perpetrates this kind of an act, it, it demands a response. And I think a, now is this the right response? I think you and I could probably say there were better responses. I, 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 <laughs> well, you, you, well, no. you heard my opinion. Yeah. Well, no, and I think that no, but I understand what Israel's doing, but effectively, I mean, do you though? I mean, I mean, let's yeah. just let's just say you were you were in you were uh, you know around the table, central command of the IDF. I mean, is your goal if your goal is really to get rid of Hamas? It seems to me like a traditional issue is okay. Well, you have a com- com- combination of an aerial an aerial campaign is inherently problematic because it's a densely ur- populated urban area, right? You drop bombs. I mean, how are you going to, it's indiscriminate. How are you going to kill, you know, you're going to end up killing many, many times more civilians than, than Hamas fighters. I mean, you can, you know, it's kind of like how, and you can't target. So you can, so, but, but fortunately for the IDF, they have, they have ground troops. They have, they have a ground invasion force. So they are go, they go in, now, it seems to me like I would probably have gone easy on the aerial campaign and focused on the ground campaign and been like, okay, if the goal is to get Hamas, then go in and get Hamas. But, you know, if you can't f- drop 20,000, 2,000 pound bombs, flatten 60% of the entire place, kill tens of thousands of civilians, and you know what? Hamas, first of all, their leadership's in Qatar and like they're laughing yeah. at you. And then, like, the, and among, as for the fighters that you're getting, the commanders, well, good luck, good luck getting them, but you might be able to get them. But this isn't the way, this is not the way, cold-bloodedly, if I was out to just topple Hamas, I'm not sure there is a military solution, but that military solution would not, it would involve special forces and, like, elite, elite squads, like SEAL Team 6 type stuff, to go in and, like, get, like, command command stations get as many high level commanders as possible and hope that the whole structure just breaks down from the top that's what i would do well and that's what i i mean yeah i think there were other ways to go about this i mean it sort of reminds me of 911 what should have been done would be yeah you can start with some of the camps in afghanistan but you would also say we're also going to bomb uh 
Eastern Pakistan. And Pakistan says, but you can't do that. Yeah, yeah, we can. And we are. Well, bombing uh, Afghanistan had nothing to do with 9-11. It did, because Afghanistan it did. had nothing to do with 9-11. Well, there were two Al-Qaeda camps there. There were at least two, if not four. Both had been empty for three years. That's so you're bombing, you're, bomb, you're pounding sand, literally. <laughs> That's what they were doing. They're pounding sand. Right. I Well, no, listen, I'm saying, I mean, obviously in hindsight, but, uh, but I also felt that we should have gone into Pakistan, sent ground troops you know, into Pakistan. You know, according to the Pentagon, there were only 50 to 100 Al-Qaeda members in Afghanistan on 9-11. You don't invade a country of 30 million people to get 100 people. No, I would have made it very strategic. I would have made it up near the border of Pakistan, uh, where the uh, Punjab, what's that? Uh, Waziristan. Waziristan. And gone into there gone into Pakistan, chased them in there. And I would have, that's would have been made a hell of a lot more sense. Um, October 7th, I, I understand the overreach and they just want to, they want to flatten, they want to wipe them out. And like you mentioned, I don't think they care about Hamas. I think they, they want, this is a land grab, Scott. They're trying to, they're trying to steal Gaza. I think that, and you can tell because first they ordered the population to move from North to South. And then, you know, with the flyers and everything. And they did. And then it's like, now they're like, okay, now we want you to move from east to west, from southeast to southwest. And then look at a map. What's uh, what's in the southwest of Gaza? The border crossing into Egypt, the Rafah border crossing. I think the idea here is to make, they want to make Gaza completely uninhabitable so that they're, look, I don't think they're involved. In, unlike my lefty mm-hmm. friends, I don't actually think they're involved in an act of genocide. I mean, I think that there's sort of accidental genocide, but that's genocide is by definition not accidental. I think what they're trying to do is they're trying to kill all the buildings. They're going to level all the buildings. There's no infrastructure. So let's just say the war ended right now. I mean, what is there to do? I mean, there's literally no place to live, no hospital if you get sick, no doctor if you get sick, no place to buy food if you have money, no place to get money by having a job. There's literally nothing there, um, so except rubble and rotting bodies, and soon the and soon there will be uh, you know anthrax and other diseases that will spread as a result. So, what they're going to do? They make it unlivable, and then in a few weeks or a few months, the Israelis throw open the border. Two million people surge south into the Sinai. Sorry, Egypt, t- sucks to be you. <laughs> they close the gate up. They, the the, the uh, Israelis come in and uh, with bulldozers to sweep away all the rubble, turn Gaza into a beautiful, luxurious beachfront community. I'm, I really you've, think that's the plan. You've mentioned that. I'm not sure that's practical. Um, I do see them as having having a permanent presence in Gaza, though, which will be, you know, the Palestinians will find objectionable. Um well, they'll That's be there by I themselves. I don't think the Palestinians will be there. I think they're, they're, no, they're no, really, think they this will. is ethnic cleansing is what it is. Well, I, I think that's harsh. I think you better be careful in, in talking with about Israel and ethnic cleansing. But uh, I do believe that they are going to have a permanent presence in Gaza. Now, whether I don't think they're going to be there by themselves. I think the uh, the Palestinians are going to move back in. I mean, it makes sense for them. How? What do you mean, how? They've been. I mean, there's no, there's no, there's no, there's no, there's no housing stock to live in. I know, but rebuilding these things, they're very good at it. They've had years to do it because Israel, from time to time, shows up and blows up buildings. They right, but not true, but not at this scale. It's never happened like this before. Well, we'll have to wait and see. 
We can be an editorial. We can be an editorial board. It remains to be seen. <laughs> Everything does always. It always does. Yeah, yeah. You can so never you can. argue with that. Yeah, no, you that's can't. true. Well, hence the hence the phrase. Well, so here's the question. Um, you know, let's okay. talk about the domestic political implications of all this. I mean, it's interesting because both the Democrats and the Republicans are 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 kind of having to deal with some um, awkward divisions within their own conferences, right? Uh, Democrats, the headlines, more, there's more focus on them, the progressives, uh, the, the younger progressives who, who support Palestine versus the more traditional older Democrats who support Israel. That's kind of well understood and why that's a problem for Biden, because he's a big supporter of Israel. And he really can't have like the young voters who were a big part of his coalition last time, just sit on their hands and not show up although I think that's what's going to happen. Um, but then Trump kind of has an analogous problem because he's an isolationist and an anti-interventionist um, for the most part. It's not like he's a pacifist, but he's also really pro-Israel. And so, you know, he he moved the U.S. Embassy to Jerusalem, something that Israel had always wanted. Um, and so, and that really pissed off the Palestinians but at the same time, the you know the the Arab the the Islamic vote is important in swing states like Michigan, uh, and you know there's mm. the split within the the MAGA wing of the GOP is more sort of Pat Buchanan-y, America first, yeah, don't be you know going in deep, and this and the Israel thing is more neocon-y, but the neocons don't really like Trump. So what is it? What is it? What are both of you know what's the sweet spot politically for 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 either party really i mean if you were running for president what would be your approach to this because i think there's like it's really perilous it's very fraught you there's no like obvious like bam this is the answer no but i think that both sides when you when the smoke clears and you you know you blow away the rhetoric both the Republicans and the Democrats, the, the the ones running for office, the serious ones, are going to be pro-Israel. Um, where it's going to be marked and different is going to be on Ukraine. And that's going to be a delineation mm -hmm. that I think people are going to have to make in you know, November of 2024. Uh, the Republicans are going to be four square against giving Ukraine money. Well, and by then, I presumably that will be that goes double if the state of the war, the front lines haven't meaningfully changed. People, I mean, we, I mean, it's weird. The Americans don't understand stalemates. We just like, oh, okay. What? Oh, that's still going on. Yeah. We don't pay attention. We don't no. give a shit because we're oh, what's the word, Ted? Well, idiots. Well, there's, here. if there's no movement, it's not news by definition. Well, but like that, I used to always say like when I was in Karachi, Pakistan, there were 20, an average of 24 terrorist bombings in the city every single day. And they were never, I, I mentioned this to some friends. They're like, why have I never heard of that? I'm like, because it's not news, because it's every single day. Wow. Wow. You know? But if you have yeah. one terrorist bombing in Dayton, Ohio right now, that's news. Because Would it's anyone not news. notice, though? <laughs> Maybe not. Depends on what part of town. <laughs> so, yeah, as a, from, a, from a purely practical political standpoint, Ukraine is going to be much more of a hot potato and a hot button issue than Israel. Israel, the... Political establishment is we stand with Israel. Mm -hmm. And that's what Netanyahu has depended on that for 10 years. Mm -hmm. And he wasn't wrong. You know, I can do any goddamn thing I want to. I can, you know, pass laws. I can actually diminish my Supreme Court. 
<laughs> and, yeah. and America is not going to do a goddamn thing about it. And he wasn't wrong. We well, didn't, and we, yeah, that's true. He has the Israelis do whatever the fuck they want. That's their deal. Yeah, because they can. They can. And also it's kind of their national culture. I mean, you know, they're they're brusque people. You know, <laughs> it's like a lot. Well, a lot of them came from Russia. Right. So <laughs> it's not that surprising. So, yeah, will will Gaza be an issue? No. I mean, you know, you've got the you've got the idiots on the campuses and, you know, tearing down the um, kidnapped posters, which is just how fucking stupid is that? However, I got to say, if the Palestinians had their act together, they would put up their own posters, their own kidnapped posters of the thousands of Palestinians who are being held in Israeli administrative detention. Yeah, but, you know, little little sunshine from you know berkeley doesn't think that far ahead or that well, deeply, I know. or that much um, by the way I, I do want to ask you something that came up on center clip that you and i both of course contribute to um this question of like when does uh like like in my view a lot of you know there's this whole like conservatives in particular have been saying that that a lot of the there's a lot of anti-semitism uh, in the pro-Palestine movement here in the United States. And when I ask just to hear specific examples, I got to say nine times out of 10, they're not, that's not really anti-Semitism. It's criticizing Israel or, you can criticize, yes, or, it, that's true. or even questioning Israel's right to exist, which I also don't think is inherently anti-Semitic. Um, it's like, you can, I mean, it's like, mm. I personally think it's a dumb question, so I fail to engage with it because it doesn't matter whether no country has a right to exist. It either does or it doesn't um, based on how strong it is, Um, you know, but but I think my point is that I was going to ask you as someone who does support Israel, because I am genuinely confused by this, like what would you say crosses the like, do you really think that anti-Semitism is a let's just say a major or a significant part of the motivation on college campuses to be uh, supporting Palestine, or is that really kind of bullshit and Israel supporters are just using, using this cheap shot to try to, you know, distract everybody with just with, with the anti-Semitism accusation rather than engage the legitimate critiques of Israel. I'd say yes. (laughs) Because you and I know that you can have it can be it can be both. Absolutely, um, I guess I the think question, college. Can, no, there, I'm going to just stipulate that there are anti-Semites. There's a Venn diagram where some critics of Palestine of Israel are anti-Semites. I guess the question is how big is that is that intersection? Yeah, I think that if they'd given it any thought, like I said, I wasn't I wasn't kidding about little sunshine there at Berkeley. She doesn't give it. She she's you know she just this is what she hears what she should do and goes to her little discussion group or whatever um, sees memes and that's how she thinks. I think if you gave this some deep thought, there is an anti, I think on college campuses, generally there's an anti-religious rhetoric and anti-religious mm-hmm. atmosphere to begin with. So I'll give you that. because, because Israel is not a secular, it's as close to a secular state or it was until recently as, as, as close to a secular state as a religious state can be. Mm. You, see, you see, you see where I'm going. And yeah, so kind of like, kind of like the way Turkey was before Erdogan, maybe. Right. Well, yeah. And now it's back to being, you know, bat, batshit crazy religious. Uh, the same is true of Israel. Uh, this is becoming true of America. Um, <laughs> it's just like, I think 
given that, you could say that obviously the prevailing religion of Israel is um, is is uh, is uh, you know Jewish, and um, that acts against that could be perceived as anti-Semitic. I think some of the acts, like I just described, the person in New York, they put up the want the missing posters or mm. the uh, kidnapped posters, and this idiot uh, was like she wouldn't give her name, uh, but she was like tearing these down and putting up a poster over them in the hole, uh, calling for some kind of mass meeting of pro-Palestinian. What I think they failed to observe is that, although I would you say Pal Palestinians would be as, as religious as say an Iranian or as a Saudi? Fuck no. I mean, no. it's still obvious. It's well, but you still, there's still well, a Well, don't forget elements. a lot of Palestinians are Christian, um, right? Like 30%. Is it thirty percent? Is it that um, high? It's, it's really fucking high. I have to look it up. But yeah, it's 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 shockingly high. Um, and there and there's Druze and all these other people. Um, but and so, our favorite Zoroastrians, the Zoroastrians, always the best, always in the name of Zarustra. Um, but I would say that, like, <laughs> but in terms of Mo Palestinian Muslims, who are of course the majority, um, they're not they're not fucking. I mean, yeah, there are fanatics. But on average, they're not like, well, Iranians on average aren't that religious either. Um, you know, secretly, they all drink and fuck around. And uh, they're, they're well, I know. I said their, leader, their leadership up there in Guam. How do you say that? Guam, the, oh, the religious uh, Kum. capital of Iran. Kum. Kum. Chewing Kum. It's spelled Q-U-M, right? Uh, yeah, or, yeah or Q-O-M, depending on which transliteration you want to use. Um, um, but my point is that and oh, are you doing the podcast now? I said yes. This is would be the time I told you I'd be well, recording I was. it. <laughs> I was, and then I wasn't, and so people listening to this are going to hear the behind. They're going to pull the curtain back, <laughs> yeah, yeah. breaking the fourth wall um, <laughs> on the DMZ. So America I can't even remember where the hell we were. We were talking about Gaza and well, oh yes. Yeah, so how religious are people in in, in yes. Muslim Palestinian Muslims? And they're so on average. You know, I mean, it's a it's a bell curve always, but I would say that like as Muslims go, um, Pakistanis would be way up there, Saudis would be way up there, uh, Jordanians not so much, um, and then Syrians, Syrians not so much, more secular, uh, Palestinians not so much. Okay, well then that you know, but I did I was wa watching the video of the. Uh, prisoners who were released into Gaza, and you know, and obviously in the background, we're into the, the flags West. Of a... Wait, which ones? By by Gaza, or weren't, weren't that were they released into Gaza? No, no, no. I think I think all, I think all, if not all, but or almost all of them were released into the West Bank. And interestingly, yesterday, uh, Israel it, um, released some Israeli Palestinians who they'd been. You know, we always talk. They always like to talk about how well treated their own Palestinians are inside Israel proper. But apparently not always. And uh, Ted, 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 three square meals a day, a, a cot, you know, I mean, come on, health care. Well, I mean, surely they don't, apparently they weren't really getting any of those things. Oh. So according to the Amnesty International, whoever the fuck they are. Well, they had the cot, right? Mm, no, that sounds like they didn't have a cot. <laughs> yeah. Maybe they all had to share a cot. Like, there are people who pay good money for that. But um, yeah, so anyway, but so including, yeah, but that's an exception, uh, like one or two Israeli uh, Palestinians were released into Israel, but there's, uh, yeah, a famous Palestinian poet was released, uh, and then the um, 
and then also, but mostly 99% of them, they've gone to the West Bank, no, which I is interesting I... because, because they don't, because, you know, uh, Hamas doesn't control the West Bank at all. No, but what's interesting is the celebrations of the release of the prisoners being hoisted mm-hmm. up and all that stuff. Is there are flags, are there are Palestinian flags and flags of Hamas were being flown well, that's not during surprising. the celebration. And Hamas, oh, said, have, Hamas, it has political influence in the West Bank. And especially now, I mean, Hamas is definitely gaining in popularity uh, because of the war and the radicalization. And I mean, for, some people are psyched that what they did on October 7th by striking back against the uh, at the Israelis, something that Palestinians don't get to do very often. It's usually one way the Israelis beating up the Palestinians. Every now and then the Palestinians get they get in their licks. But also, even for people who weren't into October 7th, there's a lot of people who feel who feel that Israel's overreaction makes them join Team Hamas. I'm one of those people who's antisocial enough to say, I hate both of them. <laughs> but- oh no, I'm with you right now. I loved Israel. I mean, here, I mean, I my Israel must live button, which uh, I wore daily in the 1970s um i'm about the last 10 years the israeli treatment of 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 palestinians and just that whole and dealing with that issue has been so horrific and so inhuman that's really hard to embrace them uh october 7th changes your view of things significant in terms of you know what the retribution for that should be but you and i are probably of, of the same ilk i just say fuck both of them really i mean you know Guys, I care about people, and I want the Palestinian and the and the Israeli people to live in peace side by side. Uh, I I think I still think the two state solution is the easiest. Although you know, really, truly, um, I think there's a this would be this is a segment's already gone a long time, and we should probably move on. But I was thinking we should at some point address the issue of whether you know Israel as an idea. Is an, might may, might it really be a colonial anachronism? Um, you know, an anachronism. It just doesn't. I, like- I don't think so because of the religious aspect, because of the pogroms of the early latter part of the nineteenth and early part of the twentieth century. I think because of the Holocaust. I think that there was, and is a, a need to give them a, a, a homeland. But if I'm not mistaken, where you're going is to just have one big country where palestinians yeah. have an equal vote Pal- to we'll call Israelis it palestine and a, make a democratic it, nation and make you can, it like way, a, do you remember what i Lebanon know that, i know that jews are worried in israel are worried about demographics because you know the birth rate among palestinians is higher than among among jews so you know but there is a solution around that i mean many countries that have parliaments um have a guaranteed number of minimum guaranteed number of seats for ethnic minorities like iran actually has a minimum guaranteed number of seats in, um, I think it's called the Majdis in the uh, parliament uh, for Jews. And they have a substantial number of Jewish parliamentarians in Iran. Um, So you can do that. You could say, we're going to do, you know, we guarantee that there will never be fewer than 40% of the seats in the Israeli part in the future Israeli or Palestinian parliament for Jews or 40% for Palestinians or whatever. It reminds me of what Lebanon for a while, for one brief shining moment, uh, Lebanon, what had, uh, you know, you had the prime minister was Muslim and the president was Christian mm-hmm. um, or right. vice versa. You need a, yeah, a power sharing arrangement. I mean, Tajikistan had a brutal, horrible civil war that the world ignored between 1993 and 2001. And in the end, they ended up with a power sharing agreement. And it, the country's really doing great by comparison. Um, you know, it is possible. I mean, 
Yeah, I, I thought that might be. I always felt that if there's a two state solution, that the two states would, because of the nature of their populations, they would naturally um, um, move towards each other because they have self interest. They have they they have a history. Ethnically, of, they're the same. Ethnically, they're the same. They eat and the mercantile. Same food. They look the same. A, mercantile. They. I mean, they have a history yeah. of that. They. I yeah. mean, it's just like you know, they do business. And I think that then the borders would have become less and less important. And like, you know, like you allude to, there probably would have come a time when you would have had one country or de facto one country. Yeah. Well, from your mouth to God's ears. I mean, there is always, and there's of course the other problem of the two state solution, which I never, I can never really unravel, which is the fact that, um, you know, they're, they're in two pieces, right? West bank and, Gaza yeah. places like sort of like when India partitioned and right. Pakistan with, and it became yeah, Bangladesh, East Pakistan and Pakistan, which became like, yeah, was it West Pakistan or just Pakistan? I thought it was Pakistan and East Pakistan. Yeah, I thought it was East Pakistan and Pakistan. And, and they yeah. were separated by hundreds of miles of India. Um, and so obviously that didn't really make much sense. There's other examples of that, but that's like geography. That's a real problem. Do you remember the concert for Bangladesh? I, I, I have the album. Of course you do. <laughs> On vinyl. <laughs> it wasn't that great, actually. But all right. No, it was terrible. And the, song, the, the George Harrison song, Bangladesh, do yourself a favor. Go to Spotify and give it a listen. Or don't. Because it's really bad. Yeah, it's bad. They were snorting a lot of coke back in those days. All right. Yeah, we should, who are we to judge? Let's take a break. And um, okay. we'll come back and continue and go on. And we're back at DMZ America, the podcast. Uh, well, we're going to have another segment here. I'm Scott Stannis, and I'm coming to you from, you know, the right. And I'm Ted Rawl, and I'm coming to you from, you know, the left. I mean, I'm expect- when is it going to be DMZ, the yoga studio? <laughs> <laughs> Namaste. DMZ, the municipal airport. <laughs> no, I think we have to go smaller, like the convenience store, <laughs> the, the 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 coffee hut. Have you been like in Pacific Northwest, like in in Washington, Oregon? They have. Uh, I mean, I know you where you know where the Pacific Northwest is. Yes, but, yeah. You know they have the, they have those little they have little huts. Remember, like they had the photo developing huts. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Sure. Lot of the, of oh, the, uh, photo mat. Photo mat, exactly. And oh so there, there's like little photo mat style huts. In fact, they may be former photo mats for real. And you can just pull up and get a cup of awesome Joe from your co- convenience of your car. Cause you know, you're, you're in the Pacific Northwest where it's always overcast. So you need coffee just to not <laughs> die of being overcast. We were in Salt Lake city. My daughter-in-law, my, my oldest son is um, going to get doing a postdoc position there at the university of Utah, go Utes. And they have a bunch of those, Ted, a bunch oh, of these really? little shacks. Oh, yeah, drive-through shacks. Yeah, I How guess it's sort of like, okay, you know, it's coffee. I, well, the ones never... in, no, the ones, the ones in Oregon and Washington, holy shit, they're so good. Really? What makes good Oh, coffee? yeah, you got to go don't in a forget, circle don't and come forget, back around, you know. Don't forget COVID has robbed me of that pleasure. Oh, God. Are you really I, still? Yeah, you're I still can't. like, yeah. oh, yeah. You're, still, no, a... you're as tasteless in your buds as you are in your politics. I had to do yeah. that. <laughs> Well played. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. I cannot taste coffee. Smell or taste coffee. What? 
Yeah, I know. It's like, it's like one of my favorite things. Oh, no, no, no. I still know there's a list. It's a weird. It's a oh, weird. Oh, so we, can, we, wait, can you smell shit? No. So you I cannot can get, smell you poop. Get, there's a lot of jobs that are now looking <laughs> a lot more appealing to you. <laughs> well, I go hiking a lot. Go work at Surf go, Pro. When you, <laughs> when you go hiking a lot, they have outhouses, they have porta potties that haven't been changed since the Carter administration. <laughs> right. And I can go into them and all I smell is something like they use some kind of deodorizer or something that's sweet smelling. And I can uh-huh. smell that, but everything else I'm just like, I could be in there all day. That's, that's <laughs> my superpower. Oh yeah. I couldn't be luckier. <laughs> the one thing that killed me is a friend of mine owns a restaurant here in Birmingham called the fish market. And uh, shockingly, they so serve fish and uh seafood and then he had the best lobster bisque i've ever had in my entire life ted the best and you could taste that they brought me a cup of it i ordered oh, a cup no. of it it tasted like a big spoonful of salt i could not oh. taste the lobster at all now that kills me because i love Oof. i heart hard lobster but i can't taste it anymore you want to hear something weird on the list too i just i was did. out to, i was out having a um coffee with janine and a friend of ours and I guess because I'm part girl, I ordered the lavender latte. You shut up, Ted. I don't even don't know judge. what to say. Oh my God. <laughs> okay. So anyway, I tasted it. I go, wow, they didn't put any lavender in this. I handed it to Jeanine and my friend and they both tasted it. And they both said, oh my God, there's a ton of lavender in here. Wow. So I can't taste that. A pair de moi. All right. Well, um, that's so, so this is part about, this is partly about re refamiliarizing yourself with your masculinity. <laughs> yes, I think it's just I still drink coffee. I still go. drink a lot of coffee because I like coffee, but I, I like the warmth. I love, okay, quick story. I'm showing Ted when you guys, if you want to go look at the video, you can. That's Here's my looking, coffee mug. That's you a nice see the inside? mug, I gotta say. Isn't that cute? But the yeah. inside of it is dark, 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 dark blue, uh, mm. almost black. I was one morning, I'm get my coffee. I go to the coffee maker, I pour my pour the coffee into this mug, mm-hmm. and I come back to my office or my studio. I'm sitting here. I'm happy as hell. I'm work going through paperwork, going through emails, getting 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 it done, Ted, getting it done. Just like Janine wakes up guy. and Janine in the uh, kitchen, I hear Janine go, Oh man. I go, what? And she had forgotten to put the coffee in the coffee maker. I was drinking hot water <laughs> and had no idea. I was completely and utterly happy. <laughs> Just drinking awesome. warm water. So yeah, don't don't get the we're COVID, showing kids. off mugs. Um, my mug's not as pretty as yours, but mine is for the defunct. Daytonian Hotel. Oh, there was a hotel called the Daytonian. Yeah, it was fancy. It was a good place to stay. Yeah, was it? What made yeah, it so? Yeah, yeah. And but I, this is my favorite part. It has the the hot the hotline number to call. There's a Daytonian hotline. What would you get if you called that hotline back in the day? Um, sex? Who knows? I, don't, I have no idea. <laughs> That's what I never called. Hookers. That was those hot, hot Daytona. No, this was a this was a hot. Dayton, it was a big deal in the seventies, and you know, so like, who fucking knows what you could get back then? Crank. Anyway, so I, as, as some of you may know, who listen to this podcast, I live here in Birmingham, Alabama. Well, suburb of Birmingham, Alabama, but um, the mayor Woodfin has just proposed that a pilot program of uh, guaranteed income. Uh, it was for single mothers in the Birmingham area that it's working well enough that he wants to make it permanent and wants to set an example for the rest of the country that if the federal government's not his quote, his words, if the federal government's not willing to step up, we are. 
But here's the thing, Ted. I mean, okay, so you know, I can talk about the guaranteed income. And don't forget, this has been proposed. Adam Smith, yes, that's right, the god of all of us who believe in, let's say, fair economics. Adam Smith proposed a guaranteed income back in the 18th century. So this is not something that comes strictly from the left. Uh, Richard he, Nixon do you remember what it. his explanation was or why? Uh, or yes, what? it was to help younger people become on, more entrepreneurial. It was geared almost exclusively towards uh, giving, it was essentially oh, so startup like, capital. Like feeder capital? Yeah, it was like if you're young and you're, you're just getting married because, you know, they got married at 13 back then. Uh, okay. You could, if you had an idea for a business or something, or we were just anyone everybody in the community got X amount of money. Mm. Now, what makes this interesting, Ted, is A, it's geared only for single mothers in the city of Birmingham. But two, it's 385. Single fathers are left out, huh? Yeah. You know, once again. Mm -hmm. um, Sexist asshole. Yeah. But it's $385 a month. Huh. Which, by the way. um, It's not an income. That's a tip. Yeah, well, especially nowadays, but but in this in this environment, one of the poorest states in the union, uh, that would probably make a difference. Oh, I'm sh- no, no, for sure. Uh, but okay, let's talk about a guaranteed income. Now, is this an issue you've thought a lot about? Um, it is. Um, I first started thinking. I, I'm sure, like you may, we may, may have both started thinking about it from the same thing. Although I'm just supposing. Uh, when uh, Alaska built the pipeline, the Trans-Alaska Pipeline, um, I remember being really surprised that um, that every single citizen of Alaska um, was receiving an annual income from the pipeline. Um, I, I want to say it was like $10,000 per year. Uh, I might be wrong. I know that that number has dropped. I don't know if that's because of some kind of factor that I'm not aware of. But anyway, the point is um, it was thousands of dollars per year per Alaskan citizen. And I remember one of the justifications that I heard was that it's ver- that the cost of living is very high there. Uh, and they have a, they really want to try to encourage people to live there because the population is, it's so sparse. Uh, they don't want everyone to leave. And, and so it was kind of the, I'm not really sure why Alaska, why not other places, but I just thought that was kind of cool. I remember thinking, well, it would be really nice to sort of cushion the harsh, the harsh um, uh, underside of capitalism. You know, the idea that you know you can be working hard and then you get a your boss just decides to fire you for some reason, and then you're suddenly out on the street, you know, and you lose everything. It's nice to think that you know if you don't get unemployment benefits, that there's some you know you you have a cushion that like you're still going to get something. You're not going to be rich but you'll get something. And we kind of saw that during the COVID-19 pandemic right. yeah. when former yeah. President Trump and then Biden. But I believe Trump was even more generous than Biden. Biden was starting to ramp it down. But Trump sent out checks. And during that period, um, you know, you could say, well, Americans would go off on like a Hunter Biden-like bender, but they didn't. They paid off their credit cards. They um, they 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 paid they paid uh, they were frugal. They built up savings. Savings accounts went up to record highs, um, and it really stimulated the economy. And also, at, gave people a cushion that they've been surviving on now for several years. Most of that money is gone now. But I, I think it's like, look, can Molly have a basic have a unif- uh, you know a guaranteed basic income? No, because they don't. They don't have the natural resources. They're not a rich country. 
but a but a wealthy country like the United States that has so much money that it can send hundreds of billions of dollars to foreign countries to lose wars um, seems to me like it could take some money instead and like and and give that as a guaranteed basic income so the people don't end up sleeping in their cars assuming they still have a car every time there's an economic downturn i think it's a good idea well couple that and why why a conservative like myself would even be talking about it um we do have a problem with the workforce and the uh, workforce that's not going back to work doesn't wanna isn't going to do it um well, and, and, and will not and will not be welcome because of artificial intelligence well, here's the thing. And that's the number one killer of jobs in the United States, folks. You may not know this because it's not being reported, but automation is killing jobs at a far faster rate than trade, the Chinese, mm-hmm. True. anybody though it's killing Illegal jobs. Immigration. Is, uh, I think I've mentioned this before. And I love being 64 because I begin roughly half my sentences with, have I said this already? <laughs> but I'm going to, but it bears repeating. I was on a plane sat next to a guy, his job, you know, we started talking about what we did and his job was to sell heavy equipment to manufacturing plants. I go, what's changed during the course of the flight? What's changed in your business over the years? He said, the most startling thing is he'll drive up at dusk at, at, or, or night to a factory he knows is running at a hundred percent. And there's one light on in the mm-hmm. entire factory. And it's where the two guys who, if something breaks down, they go and fix it. Mm-hmm. Or more to the point, they probably call a guy who comes and fixes it. Mm-hmm. Um, those jobs are going away. Now we're talking about things, you know, artificial intelligence. So we're talking about programming jobs are going to go away. Um, self-driving cars, meaning that taxis, yeah. Uber, that's going yeah. away. Busted drivers are going to, those jobs are going away. Truck driver jobs are going away. All of those are good jobs or used to be where you could be a, a, a dude or a gal and support a family on those incomes. Right. Those jobs, G-O-N-E. You're talking about, Ted, a potential permanent unemployment rate worldwide of between 24 and 30%. Oh, yeah. Now, do you just say, you know, there's two ways to approach this. One is fuck them, let them find a job, train yourself in something that'll make you money, uh, which would make sense if there was something to make money at. Sure. I've just described a world where there's precious few things where you can. Um. And so how do you manage that? Do you say, okay, we're going to give, we, we guarantee everyone an apartment. I mean, you've seen some, like, I'm trying to think uh, the fifth element where everyone has like this shitty apartment. It's a one room apartment, but it has, you know, you push a button, it gives you food. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, there's a place for you to go, to go to the bathroom and shower. And, um, and there are opportunities to make a little extra money, but I mean, are we happy with that? Are we happy with a purely laissez-faire economy that really, you know, winnows out the weak and they will be starving? Like, um, uh, uh, oh, what was that? Uh, Spielberg just did a, a ver- movie version of a pl- uh, Ready, Play- Re- Ready Player One, mm. where it really was people lived in, you know, the um, the uh, shipping containers. They just mm-hmm. stacked them like high rises, and that's mm-hmm. where people lived. Um, or are we going to manage this in a more civilized way? Where and by the way, creating consumers, which by the way means the economy still moves forward, uh, and there are still opportunities. And, and and honestly, look, even if you it's not, you don't view it as a compassion issue, um, even if you're rich or upper middle class still in the new world, uh, somehow you've lucked out. Um, I, you know, I think 
would you rather live in a society without a permanent underclass that you have to protect yourself from and live in a gated community and pay armed guards to protect you from being kidnapped or killed um, or robbed? Or would you, you know, I mean, obviously it's better to have for social and political stability and calm to pay people not to work. Look, there's two ways to look at this. We could look at this as terrifying because we live in a fear-based society and capitalism <laughs> thrives on fear because it's that fear of if I don't get up in the morning and, and kick ass and do something and with a little luck and hard work, make get some money, uh, I'll be out on the street. Or we could look at this as a fucking opportunity to enjoy like this, this utopian vision that was like articulated in shows like the first Star Trek, right? Where it was like, you know, well, you know, we now have super efficient technology. We don't need everyone to work. So we now have more people who have time. They have leisure time. They have more time to explore themselves and indulge the arts or travel or whatever, enrich themselves in other ways. Like, you know, I mean, I think we are not looking at it the correct way. You know, what we don't need jobs. What we need is money. And we need, and we don't really need money. What we really need is a, a, a way to live. So if we can, if we have an economy that now no longer requires as many jobs, then maybe we have to just say like, okay, well, it's okay for people not to work. Or we could also say, we'll have everybody, I mean, we could solve the problem by just reducing all work weeks by half and just say like, you know, okay, well, you're still, everyone still can have a job. You just won't, you know, it, it'll just be like, you won't be working as long hours. But the bottom line is we don't need to be working as much. We should be like, fucking look at us, man. Like, like 10,000 10, years of recorded history and we get to live for the first time in human history in a society where we don't really all have to work. And many of us will want to work. We enjoy it. Uh, it's part of our nature. We don't, but like for those of us who aren't that into it, it's cool if they don't work. I mean, I don't look down on people who don't want to work. There's nothing wrong with being lazy. Not everyone has to be a workaholic like you and I are. <laughs> I I think you have to contribute. And um, Sure, I agree with that. And I'm not sure what guys that takes, but I am, like I said, I'm looking at this seriously and there could be, like I said, my conservative friends, oh, that's, you're just talking about socialism. I go, I'm, I'm we're talking about something that an economic model that is considerably different than the one we're living in right now. Now, is that because I, I want that to happen? No. Is it because I, you know, I, it's, this, inevitable. This it's inevitable. And so the question remains, how do you manage it? And do you manage it by saying, fuck people who can't, you know, who That's aren't a stupid in way position. to look at it. It's just stupid. It's well, like it is. whenever it's sort of like it's sort of analogous to what we were talking about in the first segment about, you know, the, the Israelis, they threw up their hands at a certain point and said, we can't deal with these Palestinians. We can't talk to them. So we're going to pen them up and throw away the key and forget all about them. Well, you can't do that. I mean, you know, it doesn't work. Forget about whether it's right or not. It just doesn't work. They'll get out and they'll cause harm. So like, you know, that's the same thing here. You you can sit there and say, um, well, we should just like not focus on this. But the truth is, like you said, Scott, this is the reality. This is this is not tomorrow. This is now. And right. so right. Got, we, we do need and I don't view it as a capitalist versus socialist issue. I view it more as like um, 
I think within a capitalist construct, uh, you know, it's like this is about value added and productivity. We are we are now we've achieved extraordinary productivity with these machines, and we no longer need to produce or work as hard to produce the same amount of things that we did because we now have machines that can do it for us. Well, that's great. What are we going to do? Artificially force people to go and like twiddle their thumbs, uh, pretend to be working just to like show that they're not lazy. I mean, well, look it's, at China. It's, a, it's, a, it's obsolete thinking. Do you, do you remember when Nixon went to China and they had the people in, in um, Tiananmen Square with brooms to sweep away the snow? Then they, they, I mean, the technology to have snowblowers existed in 1972. <laughs> they could have had that. They chose, they, they did it because if they got snowblowers. kept people working. Yeah, it would have kept people working. So do we deny ourselves? And we're not the kind of culture that's going to deny ourselves the luxury of the advances in technology. We're just not going to do it. And why should um, we? Well, for, for the reasons that Mao did not, um, you know, get the snowblowers because he knew that uh, by getting the snowblowers, you're going to put 20 old Chinese women who who swept the snow away. They're, they weren't going to be able to work. Mm-hmm. There was going to be nothing for and them to do. that would cause social and political instability. Well, and that's the other thing is like, does a guaranteed, and you're more attuned to that level of economics than I am, but by guaranteeing an economic income, does that mean you're going to have more or less civil unrest? That is, let's assume, let's let's throw a number out right now. This happens today. And the mm-hmm. people get, I was going to say it used to be $30,000, but that doesn't get you a hell of a lot nowadays. That doesn't even pay for a fucking apartment, unfortunately, in most places. Mm-hmm. Um, but let's say, okay, let's say it's 45, 40,000 a year. Okay. Um, it's still not, it's still not very generous, but it's something and everybody gets it. Ted Rawl, who makes that sweet, sweet cartoon slash radio slash, uh, you know, opinion writing money. <laughs> uh, me who... Uh, makes that cartooning money. I mean, we're all incredibly wealthy. Oh, yeah. Um, no, I mean, it's like, but, I mean, my biggest problem is where the fuck do I put it all? Yeah. Yeah. Same here. It's just like, you know, how many boat, how many yachts can we buy, Ted? I mean, we're I about to find it. We're still trying like, to find I'm like out. I'm John McCain. I don't even know how many. <laughs> um, But does, would this lead to unrest in terms of idle hands? Um, In this, I'll, we'll leave it at this because but I'm curious well, what I mean, you think. Why, in what way could it cause, I'm, I'm really having trouble. And uh, so obviously okay. I'm going to tell you my answer in that, like, I don't see how it could cause a problem. What what kind of problem could it cause? I think people who are idle, um, you would be, you know, there will be a large segment and there'll be more because there won't be anything to but fucking they'll be idle do. Anyway. Right. Well, but, you know, now, now they can actually, you and I both well, you, know you revol- revol- revolutions don't happen when things are bad revolutions happen when things were bad, but they're getting better. So my suspicion is being America and we don't address issues unless there's some kind of weird ass critical need to address it. Well, it will cause some slacking for sure. I mean, there will be some layabouts who don't want to do anything. I suspect that for most people, I don't, I suspect that when it all settles out though, it'll be a net positive Um, just because you're not going to have the, the desperation of people who have nothing to lose which is really, really dangerous. Um, and, yeah, you know, yeah. you know, you're not going to have that disposable, that disposable thing. You will have people who just smoke weed all the time and hang out in like a hut and they're totally fine with that. But, you know, those people are harmless. Um, uh, and I also think what's interesting is there will be a lot of people 
this will not affect their entrepreneurial drive at all. They'll be like, okay, I'm good with, you know, thank you, Mr. Government. I appreciate my $40,000 a year universal basic income, but I also want to be a multimillionaire. And so I'm going to work hard and right. business uh, and right. I'll use the $40,000 maybe to help me get started, maybe, or at least while I'm working. I, you know, I wouldn't be a cartoonist if not for, un- for unemployment. Um, when I was uh, in, in 1995, I was working at a company called the Spectrum Group in San Francisco. I was, uh, had this ridiculous job where basically um, I was, a, I, I was a, a financial analyst and they didn't have heart, they had no work for me to do because they were so dysfunctional. Uh, the people, all the bosses, they were all competing with each other and they hated each other. And so I was an assistant. And if they gave me anything to do, they were worried that like one of their other competitors would see the thing that I was working on for them. And then like they would use it against them. <laughs> so I literally am sitting on Twitter wow. and they fired me. They fi- They laid me off and I went on unemployment. The story is actually more interesting than that, but I'm just, but I don't want to get distracted in the weeds. And so I was on unemployment under the state of California for six months. And during that six months, I was, I suddenly had my whole day clear. So I was looking for a new job and at the same time and going for interviews at the same time, I was accepting going after freelance illustration gigs and cartooning gigs like crazy, you know, cause I had the free time and I wanted to work and I'll, why not? Anyway, about five months into it, I was doing my finances and I realized, holy shit, you know, I don't really have time to look for a job. I'm like really making, I'm working so hard as a cartoonist. I got to see how much I'm making. And it was like, oh, I make as much as I was making before. (laughs) Um, I guess I'm now a professional cartoonist. And that's how, and I haven't had a day job since 1995. Um, My point is that that six months of full time of, you know, modest $405 a week unemployment, uh, you know, in, in Berkeley, which, you know, I had a cheap apartment, it, it got me off the ground. And like, um, I, I, you know, I, I just imagine a lot of other people would do that sort of thing. A lot of people started businesses during COVID uh, from their COVID. Yeah. Now. Yeah. So I, I, no, think, I, think- I think it would really inc- encourage entrepreneurship. Your biggest problem is always, oh, I want to start a business. Well, you need capital. That's always your biggest problem, you know. Well, yeah. Well, you need capital to survive, just to pay the, the, all the stuff. Yeah. It also begs the. This goes on to another discussion. We will have it another time because we're kind of running a little over time. Yeah. But I really want to have with you. Given this, should water and power be free as well? Oh, one hundred percent. Of course, okay. all the basic necessities of life should be free. Okay. Okay. But we'll we'll, we'll get into that. All right. So. What does this say? So, where can we see all things Ted? Uh, you could go to uh, well, you could listen to the final countdown with me and Andrew. It's the final countdown. Monday through Friday, ten a.m. to twelve noon on Radio Sputnik. That's Eastern Time. Eastern Time. Go to, but you can listen to the archived ones on Rumble, so you don't have to listen to it in real time. Yeah, my cartoons are every Saturday at whowhy.org. You can find my cartoons and columns at raw.com and scott where can we find all stentistian stuff stentoids anyway go to uh, gocomics.com slash scott stantis one word go to gocomics.com slash prickly city to see my comic strip go to chicago tribune.com slash opinion and see a gallery of the work i do for them and beginning in 2024 back again scott stantis at the dallas morning news i'll be drawing for them on a regular basis <laughs> 
Woo! And As also Dallas cent- goes, so does Southern Dallas. It's hard to argue with that. Uh, but also, Ted and I are both, as you mentioned earlier, on Center Clip, which is a mini podcast.